Colossians chapter number 2. Colossians chapter number 2. As we today will take a look at our theme verse for the month and we'll conclude our sermon series here entitled Draw Near with Thanksgiving. Last Sunday I said that my wife, when we first got together, told me she didn't really care much for Valentine's Day because she wanted to be treated special every day, not just one day on the calendar. And while I believe that Thanksgiving is probably the most Christian holiday of the whole year in a very real and historic sense, in a cultural sense, um, it's something that should be offered continuously. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. There should never be a time where His praise is not in our mouth. The psalmist said, His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And that's really an admonition to we who claim Him as our King. And I believe today that we, if we would just open our hearts to the message, there's something here in this message that all of us can take away that will help us uh, to, to live ever closer to the Lord that made us. And while we'll deal with many verses today, I'm going to just read from the passage that gives us our theme verse, uh, verses rather, for this month. Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 6. It says, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with, say it with me, thanksgiving. Lord God, I pray that You would speak through me today. Lord, I yield myself to You. Lord, I pray for every person in this room. Lord, only You know all of the burdens that are being shouldered by folks in this room. Only You know all the heartaches and the cares. Lord, I pray that as You alone are able, You administer to the need of every heart. Lord, save them that are lost. And may You be pleased to meet with us in Holy Spirit power. For this we ask in the lovely name of Jesus. Amen. When I was a little boy, I probably, like you, played the game Operation. Anybody ever played that little game where you, you have the tweezers and you're trying to do surgery and, and we all became very familiar with and uh, and, uh, and every once in a while you get wet hands and the thing would short out and you get a jolt from it. And that was always exciting too, wasn't it? And uh, that was a little something we learned about cauterizing the wounds. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I can remember as a little boy doing that. And really at that time, I didn't know 
that the thigh bone was connected to the knee bone. And, and I, I didn't understand how it all went together and how it all worked. All I saw was the little box in front of me with the cutout outline of a body that I needed to do some surgery on, but I really didn't understand much about it at the time. Well then, you know, I went to school and um, I, I have to say that uh, God delivered me from a life of drugs. I was saved out of a life of drugs. Um, my parents drug me to church and they drug me to school and they drug me to the doctor and the dentist. And, and uh, how many of you, you were on drugs too? Your folks drug you everywhere. And, and, you know, my parents drug me to the school and I had to learn some things about the human body. And the more I learned about that body, the more amazed I was at its intricacy. The more amazed I was about the order that God ordained to go into these bodies of ours. And how that there are miles of blood vessels and there are thousands of nerve endings and there are uh, cells that, that really give us a depiction of the Lord Himself at the minutest microscopic level. And it's amazing. I know that Brother Kelly and Miss Bonnie have been teaching the, the university Bible class and in some of those apologetic lessons, they're learning about the wonder of God's created handiwork. It's an amazing thing. We often take it for granted, don't we? This morning when I rose before the chickens, I got a text message from a pastor friend of mine in Pennsylvania. And he said, it's snowing here this morning. And uh, he said, we're going to preach down holy fire. And hopefully some hearts will be warmed in the midst of the chill. It was snowing there. And I can remember uh, going to the snow as a, as a child. And sometimes I would look out at this vast sea of snow scattered all around. And I would just want to run through it. I'd want to roll around in it. I'd want to play with it. But you know, I couldn't really appreciate what was going on there. I didn't realize at the time what was going on in the heavens and how that these uh, particles uh, went from liquid to uh, a solid form and floated down so artfully and beautifully to this earth so that we could all enjoy it. But then one day, somebody brought out a telescope or, or a microscope and we put snowflakes under the microscope. We began to take a look at the intricacy and the detail that God put into every single one of the trillions and trillions of snowflakes that will fall in the state of Arizona alone this year. It began to teach me some things about the greatness of God that without getting a little closer look, I would never fully appreciate. I'm not really a student of astro uh, 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 astrology. I just, I, I like to look into the stars. I like to go up into the mountains and, and look out at the stars. And, you know, as a, as a youngster in school, I learned that 
There are 170 billion galaxies in our universe. 170 billion galaxies in our universe. Each galaxy contains as many as 100 trillion stars. The Milky Way, which is the galaxy where we live, contains 400 billion stars, most of which are larger than our sun. And almost as many planets. And I want you to understand they're so vast and so innumerable that science has not even begin to, begun to scratch the surface of the magnitude of the heavens. You imagine 170 billion galaxies containing as many as 100 trillion stars in each galaxy. And scientists would tell us that there's much more to explore and to know beyond that. And to just get a sense of the, of the awe and the wonder of who our God is, we, we get a little closer look, but I, I read in the book of Genesis in chapter 1 something that, that really blew my mind. It says there in verse number 6, And God said, Let there be... Where am I at? Verse number 16, And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, that's our sun, and the lesser light to rule the night, that's the moon. Oh, here's the rest of the verse. He made the stars also. So great is our God that in the narrative of creation, 170 billion galaxies with a hundred trillion stars in each, we're given one line. He made the stars also. My friends, we come to church and we try to get a sense of who God is. And folks, we never quite get there. And the fact is, you can study all the science and Science does not disprove God. God is the one that validates any, any theorem in the scientific world. And listen, science is always trying to catch up with God. And, and these new breakthroughs, they're things that are centuries, millennia old since the beginning of time. They're not new to God. They're things that He ordained and that He created. And you know what? Really what He wants us to do is to get a little closer so that we can appreciate and have a sense of awe and gratitude for who it is that made us, who it is that laid down His life for us, the one that created 170 billion galaxies with 100 trillion stars in each, and the one that made the galaxy in which we live that has 400 billion stars and 400 billion planets in it, the Milky Way. 
He knows your name. He knows where you live. And you know the fact is today that if you were the only person on planet earth that needed salvation, He would have come and died just for you. The Bible tells us here, as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. And what this reveals to us is a process that God is leading us through. And I think as we open the Scriptures this morning and we, and we take a little closer look, we'll begin to see it. I've titled this message this morning, The Closer We Get. The Closer We Get. I want you to know that the theme of the book of Colossians is the superiority of Christ. Uh, one time on a Sunday night, many years ago, I preached the entire book of Colossians and I read every verse. And I highlighted all the times that it named the name of Jesus. And uh, folks, I'm not going to do that to you this morning, I promise you. Okay, But uh, I, I preached all four chapters. But it reveals Christ to us. And those that do not know Christ cannot appreciate Him in this fashion. The superiority of Christ. They may have an academic knowledge of Him as a figure in history, but in truth they do not really know Him. You see, the Lord Jesus came to this earth and offered Himself as a sacrifice for us that we might be reconciled to Him. And this fundamentally means that God desired for the things that separated us from Him to be taken out of the way so that we could be made close. We could be reconciled to our Maker. He desires that. To be close with You. When we get closer, we begin to see what we have not seen before. We begin to experience Him as He is. And when we do, the result will be praise and thanks in our lives. You know why a lot of believers don't really praise the Lord all that much outside of a song service at church? Because they haven't really taken the time to get much closer to the Lord than perhaps when they were children. I want you to notice that it is a process that God is leading us on step by step. We notice that first step is revealed in Colossians chapter 1. And in verse 3, the Bible says here, we give thanks, there's that word, and it's mentioned in each of the chapters in the book of Colossians, thanks or thanksgiving. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have to all the saints. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, where have ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in 
all the world and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day ye heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth. I want you to see that that first step in this process of drawing closer so that we can fully appreciate who God is and what He is to us is trusting Him with childlike faith. Trusting Him with childlike faith. What did they do? They heard the Word of faith. They heard of the grace of God in its truth. And what did they do? Well, they just believed it. I want to tell you, when I was eight years of age, in 1971, I heard a preacher preach a sermon on the rapture. And he told us that no man knew the day or the hour that Christ would return. And as an eight-year-old boy, I listened to that sermon very intently. And I heard him say that the signs of the time are all around us and that there was nothing that was preventing Jesus from coming. And it could be even that night. And I remember feeling fear and anxiety in my eight-year-old chest. That night as we drove home from church, I, I told my mom, I said, Mom, I'm afraid that if Jesus came tonight, that you and Daddy would go to heaven, but I'd be left behind. And I don't want to be left behind. I want to go to heaven with you and Daddy. That night, when we got home, my mama took me inside that little greenhouse with white shutters on Denton Way in San Jose, California. She took me in her bedroom. We sat on the edge of her bed, had a red satin bedspread, hardwood floors. A little nightstand beside the bed with a lamp. Lamp stand had little roses on it. I remember it as if it were yesterday. She took out her Schofield Bible. It was red. She began to show me from the Scriptures that I was a sinner. I really didn't have to hear it from the Scriptures to know it was true. Even at the age of eight, I knew there was naughtiness in my heart. But she showed me that there was a penalty for sin and that it was suffering in a place of torment called hell. But that God loved me so much that He didn't want me to go there. And so He sent His Son Jesus to die for me and to pay the price for my sin so that He could offer me the gift of forgiveness and a home in heaven. And that if I would simply believe that and ask the Lord to come into my heart and forgive me of all of my sin, that I would be saved and that when Jesus came, I would go to heaven to be with Him forever. Or if anything happened to me, I'd go to heaven. And I sat there on the edge of my mom's bed on that red bedspread and I cried. And she said, Honey, would you like to right now pray and ask the Lord to save you? I said, I would. So we knelt down on that hardwood floor beside that bed and I prayed in my eight-year-old words. 
for the Lord Jesus to come into my heart, forgive me of my sin, and save me. And you know, that day I got up off my knees as a saved individual. Not because I had this vast understanding of theological knowledge. Not because I had, this, had gained this insight into what the Bible had to say about end time events. Or because I could really expound uh, bibliology and explain canonicity and higher and lower criticism. Not because I, I could talk to you about uh, epigeneticism or superlapsarianism or sublapsarianism. Or I could talk to you about uh, the whys and the what-fors of, of Arminianism or Calvinism. That made no difference. What mattered was that just as a little child, I believed what God said. And when I heard the truth, He gave me the faith to simply believe Him. And that started something that began from before the foundations of the world, really, but in my experience, a relationship with a God that I was only beginning to know. And when we trust Christ, we need to understand that it is God that is drawing us to Himself by the word of His grace. For the Bible declares in John chapter 6 and verse 44 that, that we, we cannot come to God unless the Father draw us. We know that it is He that is wooing us and drawing us to Himself. And He gives us the hope of heaven and the faith to believe it. And so when we trust Him as a little child, we begin to grow. Now I want to just say something to you. That there are many in this room that are trying to somehow find God on an academic level. And I, I submit to you, you will not find Him academically. It will only be accomplished by a work of faith. Accomplished by God in the heart. Because the Bible says in the book of Hebrews chapter 6, or chapter, uh, 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 rather chapter 11, it says in verse 6, it says that he that cometh to God must believe that he is. The first thing that I have to believe is that God exists, that he's real, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And as I believe that there's a God, and I receive that light that He gives me, then God will reward the reception of that light with more light. And as I continue to receive the light that He gives from His Word, He, he opens my heart to His truth. And step by step by faith, He reveals Himself to me and I can trust Him because He will give me the faith to believe Him Listen, I'm not saved today because scientifically I can show you how that I know that God is real. There are times when I was a little child where I could not have shown you, I could not have explained it. All I could have done is tell you what He did for me and what He was doing in my heart. And the reality is today that He has changed your life and my life if you have received Him. And the fact is that there is no scientist on earth that can explain any of that away. If scientists can't find any uh, proof, and they can if they're honest, 
of the existence of God, the Bible declares that there is a God, and we must believe what God said. And what we have to do is say, listen, I believe what God says, and take it on faith that what God says is true, and I'm trusting it for my eternal salvation. This faith is a result of the Word of God being implanted in our hearts. Romans 10.17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. My friends, the Bible says in Galatians chapter 2 and verse number 20, For I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith, what's the next word? of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. What does that tell me? That God gives me the faith to simply trust Him day by day. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 8, For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that, not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Do you know what that's referring to? The gift of God? Right there, it's not talking about salvation. It's talking about the gift of faith. God gifts you with the faith to believe Him. And, and, and it delineates that because it says it's not of works. We're saved by faith, by grace through faith. The gift that God gives us is to believe Him. And, and li listen, when we do believe Him, we receive then another gift, and that is the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we recognize that it all begins with a measure of faith. But there's another step that the Lord wants to lead us in that draws us closer to Him in that maturity process that our passage reveals to us today, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. We begin walking in His will and in His way. We begin discerning it from the truth of the Word of God, rooted and built up in Him. So I begin to grow. I take root. I'm not going to be blown away by every little slide of men and wind of doctrine because I'm maturing in the faith. And then what is the result of that maturation process? It is this. It says there in verse 7, abounding therein with thanksgiving. When I get a closer look and I begin to reveal the greatness of God, like when I saw a snowflake under a microscope slide and I realized that there was way more to this vast world and its detail and intricacy, that it had to be God that did this because all this could never have happened simply by some cataclysmic explosion in space billions of years ago. There is design to all of this. There is order to all of this. And the Bible declares that He is a God of order. And it compels me to want to know who He is. To appreciate in fullness who He is and what He has done for me and what He is calling me to. And so it begins with trusting Him with childlike faith. And it moves from there to what the Bible says in Colossians chapter 1. And it says in verse number 9, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the, what? Knowledge of God. 
The second step in this process is to grow in our knowledge of Him. To grow in our knowledge of Him. That theme is carried forward in the book of Colossians in more than one place, but for example, in chapter 2, it says in verse 1, For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom, and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the Spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your what? Faith in Christ. God is calling us into a greater knowledge of Him. As we grow, we begin to learn who God is and what it is that He has done for us. Friends, when you were born into this world, you didn't know who your mother was. You didn't know who your father was. All you knew was you, you were hungry and you needed to be changed. That was it. You, you didn't know who they were really. You didn't know their name. God ordained that from before the foundation of the world. But you know what? As they drew you close over time, guess what? You learned who they were. And the more they showered you with care, and you felt the touch of love, somehow you appreciated, even before you could talk, the relief that they brought you, the love that they gave, the security of being cradled and rocked. And it was a process. There's something special that men don't really ever get to fully enjoy that a mother experiences with her children. How many moms here today? Let me see your hand. Moms. How many of you would agree with me that there's something special that you have with your kids that daddies never get to enjoy? There's a special connection. There's a special bond. Why? Because they know you in a way that perhaps they never had a chance to get to know Dad. Because you drew them close. You carried them in your womb. I, I was raised in a, in a strict home, just like many of you. And my dad, you know, he used to lay down the law with us boys. And he would, he, would point, he, he would get us aside and point to our mother. You see that woman over there sitting in that chair? At, bless God, that woman went down into the valley of the shadow of death to bring you into this world. And if you ever sass her, you'll be picking your teeth up off the floor and carrying them home in a sack. And, and uh, I, I'm telling you, how many of you grew up in a household like that? You just knew I'm not going to sass mom. Because, man, she went down to the valley of the shadow of death for me. And, and so I, I learned how to appreciate mom at a pretty tender age. Amen? And, and the fact is, there was something that was accomplished because of a closeness that existed between mother and child. We began to know who she was. Do you know what? As you allow the Lord to cradle you, as you allow the Lord to overwhelm you with His provision and His kindness, as you allow Him to hold you close, 
and you linger in that grasp, you begin to appreciate who He is and what He's doing for you. His desire is that we increase in our knowledge of Him. Now folks, I want you to understand that that's not just knowing about Him. You can read a book and learn a lot of historical information about Jesus of Nazareth. Paul's desire, Paul the Apostle in Philippians chapter 3, was to know Christ. He said, those things that were gained to me, those I counted loss, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but none that I may win Christ. You see, what he wanted more than anything was to know Christ in intimacy. Verse 10, he said, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering being made conformable unto His death. What was he saying? That he just wanted to know all the information about the Lord, what His favorite color was, what His favorite ice cream was, what His favorite restaurant was, what He liked on His pizza, and uh, you know what, what, were his favorite, what was His favorite music, and what was His favorite instrument, did He play an instrument? No, some of us think that knowing God is, is gleaning all that stuff. But the reality is, when the apostle writes and that he prayed that they would increase in the knowledge of God, it's not just that they would increase in data that tells them about Jesus of Nazareth, but you would come to know Him in truth and in intimacy, that you would know Him experientially, not just academically. There are a lot of folks that sometimes get a little turned aside at church because they've had bad experiences. By the way, let me ask you a question. Let's take a survey today. How many of you in this room have at some point in your life had a bad experience in church? Let me see your hand. Raise it up big and high. You've had a bad experience at some point in your life in a church. Raise your hand up big and high. Okay. All right. And those of you that don't have your hand raised up, see me in the foyer after church would take care of that. Okay, we've all been there, done that, got the t-shirt, right? Uh, Learned that, taught that, and all that that good stuff. Listen, if I left the church because somebody hurt my feelings, I'd be quitting about every other day. The truth of the matter is this, that people get to the place where they say, well, I'm just going to take my marbles and go home because you know what? I've got YouTube. I've got a TV. And I can watch reruns of Charles Stanley on TV. And you know, I, I've got Bible study books. And I, you know, I can read those. And I can just sit home. And that I, I'm good to go. Except for the fact that you're going to have a hard time reading the Pauline epistles. You're going to have time, a hard time reading the Gospels. You know why? Because they have church written all over them. Did you know that every book in your New Testament screams about the importance of the church? Everyone. Everyone. It was either written by a pillar and founder of the church or to a pastor and congregation of a church, to a member of a church, as we discover in Second John. Listen. Every book in your New Testament, every one, screams 
about the importance of the church. And yet people say, I'm going to go home and I'll just, I'll just worship God on my own at home. You know, I'm going to tell you something. Most of those people that want to do that, they just sit and stew and soak. You know what my Bible tells me? Knowledge puffeth up. You know what that means? That you'll just sit there and get so much information in you, you'll think you're smarter than God. Because after all, the church that He shed His blood for is not worthy of the investment of your time. Number one, you, you think automatically out of the gate you're smarter than God on the subject of the church, even though it's His body. How do you think Linda would feel if I said, Sweetie, I really love you. I just don't want to ever be with your body. She ever want to be around your body because you hurt me once many years ago. So you know what? I'm just going to keep my distance from you, but I really love you. Okay, I'm just going to do it from afar. You know what? She'd probably think I've slipped a cog, right? That I might pass the the Biden cognitive exam, but I, I'm definitely not going to pass muster on hers. And the fact is that my friends understand something. It's not about you just digging into the books. What do you know of God in your experience? Now, don't get nervous. I'm, I'm aware what time it is. And I, I'm not going to finish this message. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to just give you the points. But, but listen, years ago I was going through a very deep, deep valley in my life. And I sat down with a godly Christian counselor that I trusted. And he said, I want you to tell me about the experiences that you've had with, with God. And so I, you know, I, I started and I told him about my salvation and told him about uh, my, my, my baptism, about my call to ministry and, and a few di- different things where I surrendered to, to serve the Lord. And, uh, and I thought, you know, okay, I've done a pretty credible job of explaining some experiences with God. And he's like, is that all you got? Like, well, what more do you want? What do you want me to tell you? Well, I'm I'm asking you to tell me about your experiences with God. Not tell me what you've learned in school. How have you experienced what you have gleaned in your personal relationship with Jesus lately? was the last time you came under conviction about something? The last time that God caused just absolute unbridled joy to flow forth from you? When was the last time God opened your eyes to something that you were struggling to see from His Word and it was like a watershed experience in your life? When was it that God knit a relationship that was broken back together by His grace and you knew that it was only God that did it? When was the last time that you in your experience knew that God was dealing with you? Because my friends, if all we have is the academic knowledge of God, then what good is it? How does that help anybody? That you sit home and get fat on your studies while the world is starving for the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
I'm asking. You're sitting home worshiping God while all your neighbors are going to hell in a handbasket, unwarned, but man, are you ever worshiping God? And so you're going to relegate your neighbors to hell because 25 years ago a Sunday school teacher was rude to you. Or you know a deacon said something mean to you. Or a preacher didn't shake your hand. Folks, it's time for us to understand that if we're going to begin to draw near with thanksgiving, that we're going to have to begin to mature in the Lord. And it begins with trusting Him in childlike faith. That's where it starts. I'm trusting Him. Then I begin to grow in the knowledge of God. And then thirdly, I begin to understand the depth of His love and His purpose for my life. That's, that's an outgrowth of knowing Him. And the Bible says in verse 15 of chapter 1, it says about Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. You know what that means? That when uh, Mary looked at Jesus, she was looking at God. That's what it means. What it means is that when those disciples who walked and talked with Jesus uh, on the dusty roads of Galilee for three and a half years, when they looked at Jesus, they were looking into the face of God. Why? He was the image of the invisible God. Because Jesus even told uh, the uh, woman at the well that God is a spirit and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. But Jesus became the image of the invisible God so that that image, a fleshly body that could be touched and felt and experienced and seen, could go to an old rugged cross and be torn asunder so that we might have payment made for our sin and be offered uh, the, the forgiveness that only comes through the shedding of the blood of God. So Jesus was the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. Listen, that doesn't mean that Jesus was somehow the offspring of God the Father because He is eternally pre-existent. He is the eternal God. In His own words, He said, Before Abraham was, I am. And so He declared Himself to be Elohim, the Lord God Almighty. And that is exactly what the Scriptures in both the Old and New declare Jesus to be. And so as we begin to understand who this this person is that has bestowed His love upon us, we begin to have our, the eyes of our understanding open. For it says, for by Him were all things created. So listen, everything that is in this world and in that solar system that we talked about earlier was created by Jesus, who is God manifested in the flesh. It says... For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and what? For Him. So listen, what does that tell us? God made us for Him. You know what? Sad thing is that much of Christianity today somehow has the idea mistakenly that God exists for you. But the Bible says all things were created by Him and all things were created for Him. You know what? God doesn't exist for you. You exist for God. He's the purpose of our life. That's why Paul said in Philippians 1.21, For to me, to live is Christ. 
you see, the sum of his life was wrapped up in the person of God, Jesus, who is God manifested in the flesh. And then it says, he is before all things, and by him all things consist, and he is the head of the body, verse 18, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in Him should all fullness dwell. What does that mean? The fullness of the Godhead in a body that belonged to Jesus. All the power, all the authority, everything was vested in Jesus. And then it says, and having made peace through the blood of His cross by Him, to reconcile all things unto Himself. By Him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath He reconciled. That means He he drew you near. In the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in His sight. Now, friend, what we discover is this, that we move beyond just the idea of growing in, in basic knowledge of God, but understanding the depth of His love for us and His purpose for our lives because He does have a vast purpose for you. You exist for Him to fulfill His purpose. And ultimately, the purpose of God for every life is to please Him. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and wisdom and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. So the reason why I'm here is to give God pleasure, to please Him. I am here to please God. And yet you can turn on the average Christian television or radio program and somehow draw the the conclusion that God exists to please you. To make you healthy, wealthy, and wise. That if you delight yourself in the Lord, He'll give you the desires of your heart. And what that means to that evangelist is if if you go to their church and give them money, that somehow God is exclusively going to bestow everything upon you that you've ever wanted in your existence. And my friends, what that really means is that, look, when I'm delighting in, in the Lord God, then He'll place within me the desire for all that is in the scope of His will for my life. He'll place within me right desires. It doesn't mean He's going to give me whatever I want. There are a lot of folks that have done a disservice to the truth by, by putting that idea out there. But look, we draw ever closer, and what we begin to understand is that He really loves us, that we were separated from Him by evil deeds, but God, by the death on the cross, demonstrated that we who were unworthy were beloved of Him, and that even though we were undeserving of it, He loved us anyway. And as we live with that reality, we discover that He has a wonderful purpose for your life, because why would He save you? Why would He save you and leave you on this earth? Why wouldn't He just pick you up to heaven? That would be great, wouldn't it? If when I got saved, all of a sudden, uh, it was just like, beam them up, Scotty, and there I was in the throne room of heaven. No, listen, He had an ongoing purpose for my life. And 
Folks, there are some of you that are even in this room today and you're having problems and maybe your, your health is failing you and you've come to the place where in despair you ask yourself the question, I don't even understand why God has left me here. I'm going to tell you why. He's not finished with you yet. He's got a purpose for your life. And until you draw your last breath, He's got a purpose for your life here on this earth then life doesn't end. It just continues on in perpetuity and eternity. And, and so we, we realize that, that by understanding, beginning to understand the depth of His love, because listen, when I got saved at the age of eight, I didn't comprehend everything that God had delivered me from. I didn't fully comprehend all the love of God. And that's something that Paul said, it passes knowledge. You'll never come to the place where you fully understand God's love. It's so big, so vast. We can't plumb the height, the depth, the breadth, the width. It, it passes knowledge, Paul said in Ephesians chapter number 3. But bless God, I want to spend my life trying to understand it the best I can, even though the, the depth of it is beyond my human ability to put my mind around. Because listen, we're pretty evil characters. The Bible says in the book of Jeremiah that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? How many of you agree with that statement? (laughs) And yet God knows it all and He chooses to love you anyway. And when you begin to understand that, you know what? It should make you want to draw even closer We, we understand He has a purpose for our life and we want to lay a hold of His will to begin to carry out that purpose that He has for us, for all He's done for us. And look, that purpose requires a surrender of my will to whatever He appoints in my life. I, I think about what Paul told Timothy. He said, but Paul, a prisoner of the Lord by the will of God, You know what that tells me? That Paul was put into prison because it was God's will. God had a greater purpose even that Paul perhaps at the moment did not understand. And sometimes we feel like, why did God put me in this situation? Why am I here? Because God has a purpose in it. He has a will. And instead of fighting against it, we need to surrender ourselves to whatever it is that God appoints. And when we do that, guess what? We can cozy up to Him, draw a little closer, and you know what? We'll begin to understand that while all things may not be good, that all things do work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to His purpose. And you may not enjoy the moment that you're experiencing now, but together with other moments and experiences and what God provides you, He's going to give you that moment where the lights click on, and if not here in heaven, but we can rest assured by faith that all things will work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to His purpose. And I would just submit to you that even in my own life, the reason why I'm here today was because of a chain, a string of heartrending and breaking experiences in my own life. And yet as I look back over it, there are things that God has blessed me with that I would never trade for anything in all of the world. And I can testify in my experience with God that all things really do work together. Everything is not good, but everything works together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose.
So I begin to understand that. And then I want you to notice this. Then I begin to experience Christ in His sufficiency and in His grace. I begin to live out what the Bible says He is in chapter 1 and verse 18. That in all things He might have the preeminence. That means all and in all. That's what preeminence means. All. That God is all. He's everything. And He's in everything. He is my all in all. He's the preeminent one. You know what I call you to today in this season that we're entering? To not simply make Jesus prominent in Christmas. Make Him preeminent in Christmas. You can make Him prominent by putting a major scene on the coffee table or putting a cross in the front yard. You can somehow have Christian Christmas music playing in the house and say Christ is a part of this Christmas. He is not a part of Christmas. Even as Brother Lyle is saying today, He is Christmas. He's all and in all. So let me say this to you. Christ has taken the unworthy and given us what we could never have without Him. And you know what? We, we need to revel in it. We need to come to the place where we realize that He's enough. That He's everything that we will ever need. And at that point, we begin to understand that when we come to the place that He's all we want, we'll discover that He's all we need. All of that leads up to this. What really pleases God the most is what Paul testified to the Galatian church. And I'm going to read it to you. It's not in the notes, but I, I think it, it, it's profound and, and, and we'll bring this in for a landing and we'll, we'll go home and eat leftovers or something. But, but folks, I, I just want you to know that on a, on a time when you have feasted richly on physical food. I didn't want to give you a bologna sandwich on Sunday morning. I want to give you God's finest cuts of meat. Okay, I want to, get, I want to get, give you the best. Here's what Paul said to the Galatian church in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 15. But when it pleased God. Why am I here? To please God. What's my eternal purpose? To please God. Here's what Paul said. It pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace. And here's what pleased God right here. To reveal His Son in me. That's what pleased God. To reveal Jesus You know what pleases Him? It's when He begins to see Jesus revealed in you. As we begin to experience Christ and His sufficiency and grace, what begins to happen is a change comes over us. We're not the same person we were before. 
I got an email yesterday from a missionary friend down in Mexico. He said, pray for my sister Gayla. She's got COVID and the doctors are saying that she's not going to pull through. And I thought, I went to school with Gayla. We went to Bible college together. She, she was a member of my church years later. And I prayed for her. But as I was reading that, I thought, you know, if that whole circle of friends that I went to school with turned up today, I hope they would never say, you haven't changed a bit. I hope they'd say, you're not at all like the person we used to know. Because what pleases God is when I'm changed from glory to glory into the image of the one who saved me. And that doesn't mean a physical image. It means that when my life begins to look like the Lord. When I begin to live out His virtues, as we read in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the, the nine fruits of the Spirit, those are the attributes of our, of our Lord. Yesterday, Chase and Rachel brought the boys over to the house for a little while and, and they ran me just into the ground. And uh, I was chasing them all over the house like I didn't have good sense. And, uh, and Chase and Rachel were sitting here laughing, and they said, you know what, Cole runs just like you, Dad. And you know what, it pleased me. And you know what, I want people to say, you know what, you remind me of Jesus. I want to be changed by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's something that comes not just from an academic knowledge of God, not just from sitting in some seminar or conference and thinking I'm smart because I've learned something, but as I grow in the knowledge of Him, personally, experientially, and as I understand the depth of His love for me, not just what I read of it in the Bible that's manifest to others, but how He's shown it to me, and what is His purpose for my life, and where do I fit in God's grand scheme of things, that I'm more important than the minuscule that we can get a closer look at under the microscope, because if I was the only person on planet earth that needed saving, He would have come and died just for me. I'm that important to Him. And so He's got some special work that only I can do. Just like He has a special work for you that only you can do. No one can do it for you. I want to be transformed because you know what? Our transformation is another indication that because of our nearness, we begin to reflect His likeness. I've had the opportunity to travel around the country, and I'm probably like many of you, when I travel into the southern states, it doesn't take me very long before I start talking with a southern twang. How many of you start saying y'all when you get south of the Mason-Dixon? Yeah, you too? And you get around folks that, you know, they just want to drink sweet tea and 
sit around, spit, and you know, or do whatever they do south of the Mason-Dixon line, scratch and spit, and and uh, you know, punch those doggies. And uh, but you know, we we start talking like that because we get around folks, we get near with them, then we start sounding like that. And when we spend time with the holy. And we draw near to Him. You know what? It changes us. It shocks me sometimes when I see people that have been flagging in their attendance to church and they come into the house of the Lord and they talk like the world. They sound like the world. Their slang just bores right on saying the actual nasty words that we would ask them to curb saying were their children in the room. And, and yet they're just totally oblivious to it because why we know that they're in the world they're drawing near to the world and its people and that's who their companions are but when we draw near to god there's going to be a transformation in our life that draws us further into the very image of jesus it is accomplished through a loving surrender of our will to his eternal purpose for our lives and then we finally rejoice in christ and his mighty work in us that's, that's really where it comes to. We begin to see like it reveals in Colossians chapter 3 this, this work that He's doing and it produces gratitude within us. I want to just say this. Last Sunday I, I told you that it was a year. Or Tuesday night I told you it was one year. Tuesday. Since my mother died. And... Tomorrow would, would mark one year since her committal in Cortez, Colorado, and we buried Mom. And when we were there, we all sat down at my sister's house and we looked in photo albums and we reminisced. And I saw a picture of me when I was just knee high to a grasshopper standing there, freckles all over my face and wavy hair in front of a Christmas tree. And uh, we turned the page and there was a picture of a mom and dad and they were taking a church and they, they were not making very much money. They couldn't afford to go out to pennies or wherever and just buy presents. So they went down to the second-hand store, and they bought some toys. And they brought them home. Now, I remember that Christmas, I got a red wire wagon, a little red wagon. And I loved it. But I love it even more now, and I'm going to tell you why. I saw the photographs of my mom and dad painting the wagon on Christmas Eve trying to shine it up, make it look like new. Because they wanted it to be special for me. And somehow, that's the spirit I want to have with my family. I want to take whatever resources I have and try to make it the best for my family, just like you do. I learned that from mom and dad. And I loved that 
red flyer wagon on that Christmas. But I loved it even more when I took a closer look and I understood what went into it. And the love that was poured into that gift and the sacrifice that was poured into it. And what I'm saying that God wants for us today is this. He wants us to take a closer look so that we can have a richer, fuller appreciation for all that he is to us and all that he's done for us. And friends, this whole process, it never ends until we see Christ. But I don't know about you. I don't want to be that ingrate, that child that just opens the package and throws the wrapper away and then plays with the box and never says thank you. I want to treasure it. Today I'm calling you to treasure the Lord so much that you want to know Him in His fullness. You want to understand what He's done for you, why He's done it. And allow all of that to lead you into a deeper love relationship with Him. Such that His praise is continually in your mouth. God help us. I'm afraid I've been that kid who tore into things that God gave me and I didn't appreciate God helping me, I want that to change. I want to draw near with thanksgiving.